You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Radical honesty is the practice of complete honesty without telling even white lies. The phrase was trademarked in 1997 as a technique and self-improvement program based on the 1996 best-selling book, Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton. While proponents of radical honesty present the practice as a moral imperative, Blanton's programs argue against moralism and promote radical honesty as a means of reducing stress, deepening connections with others, and reducing reactivity. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet. I'm coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for this little corner of the internet, this podcast, this little pocket of sincerity. So glad to have you joining, listening, paying attention. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you, my audience. That little paragraph there I just read for you is from the Wikipedia article for Radical Honesty. And I was thinking this morning as I was a day late here, I just yesterday was listening to my podcast episode from the day before, or maybe it was the day before yesterday that I was listening to the episode I had just recorded. And I explained in that episode how I usually record the audio I publish it to Anchor FM, I listen to the audio if I really, really need to, if I can't stand behind or defend something that I have said in the audio, I'll even go in after it's published and snip out a little section. I think the most I've ever had to snip out was 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I got worked up about something or other. That's usually, by the way, that's usually when I need to edit myself whether in podcast form or in real life is when I get a bit worked up about something, feeling upset, feeling frustrated, maybe engage in a little bit of hyperbole. I'm a little less careful than I should be. I'm honest. I'm being honest, but I'm being honest in the moment. And I'm maybe perhaps emoting as much or more as actually saying something that I'm going to mean consistently. And we all do that, right? I think this is why James in the New Testament, James, half-brother of Jesus, says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It's not that anger itself is a sin. Anger can be totally justified particularly if you're dealing with injustice and evil. Anger is an appropriate response to evil and injustice. And yet, as Nietzsche said, be careful in fighting monsters lest you become one. You can't get angry at evil and then start being evil yourself or else you really aren't helping. So it's totally normal to get upset. We all do it. Our triggers might be different. The things that really get under our skin, really frustrate, really irritate us, typically, I think, have a lot to do with 
what we perceive as wrong with the world, but what we do when we're angry. That is where the rubber meets the road. Are we in control of ourselves or do we lose it temporarily? And if we do to any extent, if we're less than totally careful, well then maybe, just maybe, we should work to control even the anger and be slow to anger. Now notice within that passage in question from the book of James in the New Testament, it doesn't say be quick to listen, never get angry, and be slow to speak. No, it says be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, slow to become angry. You should stop, slow things down, think about what's going on, ask some important questions of yourself and about the situation and maybe about the people involved besides yourself and how you're relating to them and what led up to this and also what needs doing and what needs said right now. Slow to anger means it is okay to slow things down, but it's also okay to at a certain point, however slow you go, finally arrive at the point of being angry and being frustrated. But you want to be slow in getting there because you need to be careful about what you do and what you say. And you shouldn't just hold on to anger as a matter of course, as a way of trying to keep yourself hyper-energized all the time or intimidate people or scare people or deter them from doing anything that might displease you. Well, no, that's not healthy and that's not a good place for you to be and that's not a good place for them to be. So you don't want to do that. You want to be known for being slow to anger so that when people have a question, when they have a point of order, when they're confused about something, they feel like they can actually come to you and talk with you. That's what the goal is. That's not to say any of us do this perfectly. None of us do this perfectly, but it's something to strive for. Everyone should strive for it. But last episode, two days ago, I didn't record one yesterday. Yesterday, I was just not with it. I was tired. My wife and I were up past midnight talking about a situation that we were trying to be careful in addressing because we care about the people involved and we don't want to say anything amiss. We don't want to do anything amiss in our response, our exploration of what's going on. And so yesterday I just didn't record a podcast, but two, two days ago I talked about reasonable limitations on honesty. How honest really can you be? And you have to think about that, right? Honesty is a virtue, but all things in moderation. Moderation is also a virtue. Discretion is a virtue. And it can be a very challenging thing to figure out how honest should we be with people. Now, what I'm not saying is that when someone asks us a question or when it's our turn to speak, that we say things that aren't true. And this is where I disagree with some people because some folks believe that to not tell someone something is the same thing as a lie. Now, it could potentially be if in the course of a 
sentence, paragraph, you intentionally leave out details, but you include and maybe even exaggerate other details as a way of presenting what is the case, what will be the case to your own advantage, to make yourself look good, to make the other person maybe not look quite so good, to make what you want to have happen, happen, and to keep what you don't want to happen from happening. And we all face that temptation to withhold information, not because we love the other person, but because we love ourselves and maybe not well enough. And yet, on the other hand, some truths can be hard to communicate. Sometimes it's hard to know how do I tell you this? How do I say this? I don't want you to be hurt or I don't want you to be offended. I'm not sure I know how to explain this clearly. And in the process of my trying to explain this clearly, you might not have the patience to bear it. And you might take some of what I'm trying to say in the wrong way, and then you'll be hurt, and I won't know how to deal with that either, and so I'm just going to skip it all, and I'm just going to keep silent. And this is where I think what Proverbs says about even a fool when he's silent is esteemed wise. To some extent, we look down on folks who keep quiet rather than putting their food in their mouth, who keep, who, who don't say the thing, who don't record extemporaneous podcasts, for instance. To some extent, we look down on folks who are restrained in what they say and what they don't say because maybe we think that's always just being shy. Well, it is sometimes being shy, but sometimes it's being wise. And and I want to be the first to say this as someone who is not naturally that way. I have to endeavor. I have to work at it to be more that way. There is a difference between being shy and strategically, intentionally, out of a desire for loving the other person well and honoring them, out of a desire to not say something foolish that's unhelpful. There is a difference between that and being shy. There's also a difference between talking about something else because you're avoiding what you really know needs to be talked about. On the one hand, it's called avoidance. It's a coping mechanism. It's a defensive strategy that our minds and hearts sometimes will employ. Sometimes we will avoid talking about unpleasant things because We haven't developed the tools to be able to deal with the potential for conflict. But there's a difference. I'll I'll say it again. There's a difference between talking about something other than the thing that is most likely to be upsetting on the one hand because you're avoiding it because of fear, because of cowardice even, or because of a desire to deceive the other person. And on the other hand, talking about something else because you're trying to do that quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry thing. You're trying to process what might otherwise be an upsetting thing. You're trying to process it for yourself so that you're slow to anger. You're trying to process it for the other person and get in their head 
to some extent. And this all might seem really trivial, but it's really not, actually. This is a lot of what goes into having healthy relationships. This is a lot of what goes into loving your neighbor as you love yourself and loving God well, because how we comport ourselves is how we love God. I mean, we love God, and therefore we comport ourselves in a way that pleases him. And when we love the people around us, we proceed in a way that will build them up and not tear them down. Now, sometimes you have to disagree, no doubt about it, because you love them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy, as Proverbs 27 says. But even the wounds of a friend being faithful has to be thought of in light of the fact that your wounds are faithful because ultimately you want to build them up. You don't say what might hurt their feelings because you just want to hurt their feelings, right? That's not friendly. That's not loving. But you might say something that's hard for them to hear, that's challenge, that even hurts on some level, in a similar vein to cleaning out an open wound. You know, one of my kids, let's say, is playing in the yard, running around, especially the younger two, running around, maybe on the sidewalk or on the rocks, running, trips, falls, scrapes their knee or their elbow. So this happens, and the younger they are, the more likely they are to be very audible right away. You hear it. If you didn't see it, you hear it coming because now they're crying and they're very upset and they're very, you know, ah, you know. And they come to you, mom, dad, holding up the elbow that is now suffering from an abrasion, maybe a little bit of dirt and pebbles and grass in it, eyes full of tears, face red, crying. I fell. Now, as a parent, it might be disturbing, whatever it was that you were focused on, whatever you were doing. You might not love that interruption, but if you love your child, you stop what you're doing and you attend to the wound. But when you attend to the wound, what you'll find is your child is very quickly saying, don't touch it. No, 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 no. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> and why don't they want you to touch it? It's very simple. They don't want you to touch it because it hurts. It hurts when you touch it. Now, it hurts anyways, whether you touch it or you don't touch it. But as a parent, especially if you see dirt and grass and pebbles in the wound, you have to. You have to touch that in order to clean it. you got to get that stuff out of the wound before you can put some neosporin on it, put a Band-Aid on it maybe. But you're not trying to hurt them. You're trying to help them. And they don't always necessarily feel that. They do feel you touching their skinned elbow. They definitely feel that, and they let you know they felt it. 
But because you love them, you're going to try and calm them and you're going to try and explain, hey, you know what, why I am touching it. Yes, I know it hurts, but I just have to clean this out real quick and then we'll put a band-aid on it and it'll be totally fine. You're okay, right? That's what you do. And that's what it means when it says faithful are the wounds of her friend. Because sometimes it's not a skinned elbow. Sometimes it's a bad life choice. Sometimes it's a, listen, I think the reason why you're really hurting right now is because of this and there's some dirt in the wound that needs to be cleaned out or it's going to get infected and it's going to be a worse wound. So we got to do that. And this is where the question of good manners and the question of honesty again, again and again and again, comes back to the question of love. Do we love that other person? Does that other person know that we love them? Can they reasonably understand our engagement as being motivated by love based on the way we've interacted in the past? If so, it doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. It'll still hurt. That's normal. But how we respond on both sides of the equation, might be very different. I think it will be very different. We won't compound the hurt by ascribing bad motives, bad faith. You're trying to hurt me. No, 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 I'm trying to help you. But I can't help you unless I risk hurting you a little bit. I'm going to try and be as gentle as I can be, but we got to address <laughs> this in order for me to love you well. So it's funny, like I pulled up this Wikipedia article for Radical Honesty, in part because I was thinking about this episode that I just this morning, I didn't do it yesterday, I was just tired and spaced and up late the night before and woke up with a headache and then our youngest, our newborn Andrew, was fussy and I'm trying to calm him down and soothe him and all that. He was interruptive. He was not being a facilitator. He was being an obstructor to my efforts at converting the audio of the podcast into a WordPress post for the GarrettAshleyMulletShow.com. So I got to do that this morning. And as I'm typing that all up, and I finish and I publish I make sure it's shared everywhere that I wanted it to. And I read it one last time because now I'm reading it as a thing out there. It's out there now. It might be being read by someone I know, but I don't know quite who all. And how are they thinking of it? How does it look to them, depending on who I think of, possibly reading it, and yada, yada, yada. And then once that was done, I'm thinking about this question of honesty. And I'm also having just edited the episode description for the WordPress post, I'm thinking about what more there is to say about the topic of honesty. And there's always more to say on a given topic. Whether or not I should always say what more there is to say, that's a related question, but a separate question. But I started thinking about this phrase, radical honesty, or this concept, radical honesty. What is radical honesty? Is that like the Jim Carrey comedy, Liar, Liar. Is that like the movie where the lawyer who is just notorious for lying to everybody about everything 
all the time, suddenly finds himself incapable of lying because his son makes a birthday wish. And then all of a sudden he gets himself into lots and lots of trouble because he's just being completely and totally honest all the time. Some people find it hilarious and very, very funny. And some people are very hurt by the things that he says when he's completely and totally honest. Is it like that? Is that what radical honesty is? Well, it's interesting. One of the things that pops up when you search the Wikipedia article for radical honesty, in addition to what I read for you, which is the first paragraph, down below there's a section called In Popular Culture. And I'll just read it for you. The character Eli Loker, played by Brendan Hines from the 2009 Fox series Lie to Me, adheres to radical honesty during the first season. From the website bio of the character in the first season, Eli Loker is Lightman's lead researcher who is so uncomfortable with the human tendency to lie that he's decided to practice what he calls radical honesty. He says everything on his mind at all times and often pays the price. Now that show, that is another show, by the way, that is worth watching. In fact, I would say between the two, if you're going to go watch either Liar Liar or an episode of Lie to Me, Lie to Me is a fascinating show. Fascinating show. Lightman, played by Tim Roth, is a very Sherlock Holmes type of character. Very adept at reading people's body language and their facial expressions and their nonverbal cues and listening very, very intentional to what they say that they don't mean to say, almost like a tell when you're playing poker, just like that. He figures out through research and through study that universally across every culture, human beings have a remarkable consistency when it comes to how they make faces, little micro-expressions, as he calls them, how they move their body, hand gestures, posture, and also whether they use conjunctions, or they don't use conjunctions, whether they use distancing language. Sometimes when they're saying something that they know to be not true, Faces they make when they feel guilty, when they're feeling secretive, when they're feeling angry, when they really don't like somebody, when they really do like somebody. <laughs> it's a fascinating show. And the title of it, Lie to Me, is kind of a challenge, right? It's a challenge on the part of Dr. Lightman because in some... You can't. You can't lie to him. He knows that you're lying to him. He might not necessarily know what the truth is, but he knows that that wasn't it. And he also knows, based on when you did this and you moved your face like that and you moved your hands like this and you changed your posture and your stance like that and the other thing, given what you were saying in the moment and what someone else was saying in the moment, he knows that the truth is probably hinging on 
this particular point. Ah, okay, let's follow up on that, right? And we all do this to some extent, I think subconsciously. Good emotional intelligence will see us doing this in more and more skilled ways, more and more intentional ways. You have to take your ability to do this with a grain of salt and not assume some kind of omniscience. That's dangerous. And you can't assume even with finite knowledge that your suspicions, your speculations are always valid and correct and legitimate. But it's a really interesting premise for a show. I think there's a good reason that it only ran for one season, actually. I think that good reason has to do with a lot of politicians and corporate types saying, hey, you know what, actually, this is really dangerous. This is, nah. Once people start figuring out when we're lying to them, it's over. <laughs> Our hold on money and power. <clears throat> you know, not that everybody is only building their empires, their business, their marketing campaign on lies, but very often in the modern world, truth in advertising is a rarity. Very often, thanks to Edward Bernays, double nephew to Sigmund Freud, marketing comes down to the soft sell and implying far more than you could ever justify promising. Avoiding specifics, preferring a general sentiment. But at a certain point over the decades since Edward Bernays wrote Propaganda and founded the modern profession of public relations, I think that people in the modern world can be forgiven for hesitation. And I think, too, that people who have not just been lied to when they're watching a TV show and then commercials come up, or when they're watching the news and it turns out that story after story required a retraction because, you know what, actually that wasn't quite the case. And actually, by the way, this person's got connections with that politician and this corporation. And actually, go figure, they had a conflict of interest. And they ran this story instead of several others that would have been more relevant based on the facts that were known at the time because they were on the payroll, because they were good buddies, because they all share the same agenda, and the truth was a casualty. And so also our capacity to trust readily was a casualty. But again, though, you know, it's wrong to lie. Are we always required to give the entire whole truth? And is that even possible? <clears throat> you know, this is a large part of why I never really liked doing sales, per se. I like customer service. I enjoy customer service. And if you can tell me that selling this thing is going to serve the customer, well, I will sell it. And I can sell it well. But I have to believe it. I have to believe in it. I can't gin that up. I can't pretend. I can't do that in good conscience because it doesn't serve the customer. If our business requires lying to the customer in order to get their money and their time and their attention, and we are not delivering on what it is that we promised, we're in the wrong business, ladies and gentlemen. 
We just are. But the flip side is sometimes being far too honest might be a disservice as well. That might not be good customer service. You might talk somebody out of something because you're so much trying to give them full disclosure. But what you choose to fully disclose first and foremost should be predicated on a healthy and balanced view of what is in their best interest. You know, I think of a little segment from Peanuts wherein both Charlie Brown and his sister Sally are trying to sell Christmas wreaths and they're going door to door. Uh, Charlie Brown, he's going to sell Christmas wreaths to try and make some money. And he's getting the door slammed in his face over and over and over again. And then somehow his little sister gets caught up in the process and she's going to help him. And (laughs) she is a much more adept salesperson than he is. And he objects. And I'm just going to play the clip. I'm going to play the clip because it leads to some interesting questions with regards to loving other people well. Take a listen. Would you like to buy a Christmas wreath? It's not even Thanksgiving yet. By the time Christmas comes, all the needles will be falling off. Don't hang it near the turkey. Would you like to buy a Christmas wreath? It isn't even Thanksgiving yet. Would you like to buy a Thanksgiving wreath? Would you like to buy a Christmas wreath? Do you know what you are doing? Don't you realize you're adding to the over-commercializing of Christmas? Not till I sell one. Good morning. This is a Christmas wreath. Thank you. I love samples. I give up. I can't imagine anyone else having as much trouble as I do selling Christmas wreaths. Good morning, sir. Would you like to buy a nice Christmas wreath? (coughs) Merry Christmas anyway, sir. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim the last of all, and joy to the world. Rats. What are you up to, big brother? I'm trying to sell Christmas wreaths from door to door. Getting on the old commercial bandwagon, eh? Going after those big holiday bucks, huh? Need any help? Good morning. Ask your mom if she would like to buy a Christmas wreath. Tell her they were made from the famous forests of Lebanon. You can read about them in the second chapter of the second book of Chronicles. If you buy two, we'll throw in an autographed photo of King Solomon. You can't tell people these wreaths were made from the force of Lebanon. That's lying. Good morning. Would you like to buy a Christmas wreath made from some junky old branches my brother found in a Christmas tree lot? You wouldn't, would you? And I can't say I blame you. 
See, your way doesn't work either. I think we need better packaging. We need a better way to show off our product. Good morning, would you like to buy a Christmas wreath? <laughs> and exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so there's got to be a third option, as I reckon. It's got to be okay to be honest with people and genuine. And if they ask a question, you say, well, here's what it is. But there's also got to be a way of avoiding tarnishing the thing because you're actually just a pessimist. Are you really being realistic? Are you really being honest just to be negative all the time? Or should you stop and question, hey, wait a second, okay, do they need to know that? Am I helping them? Is it necessary? Is it true what I'm saying? Is that the most relevant detail? Right? Is that building them up? Is that edifying, to use a Christian term? Now, it might be it might be edifying, to be honest and genuine. A show of good faith where we're vulnerable and we say, you know what, this is what it is, the good and the less than ideal. But I'm not so sure that Jim Carrey's performance in Liar Liar is the best prescription for how we communicate with one another. I'm not so sure that being brutally honest qualifies as either good manners or loving the other person well. Not so sure about that. And I, again, I like this doesn't come naturally to me that I would moderate brutal honesty. I have to work at it. I have to be intentional about it. Other people, I think it's more of a challenge for them to say the hard thing, possibly offend the other person, possibly upset them. My wife is such a one, and she helps me to be more intentional in my honesty, and I help her to be more intentional in her honesty. Our children, at various times, I would say more often than not, need her type of help <laughs> more than they need my type of help. Uh, we'll put it that way. And yet, it really is a challenge. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. It is a challenge. And it does depend somewhat on who your audience is, who you're talking with, what the subject is. I think that quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, is instructive there. You're quick to listen. Well, what does that mean, right? What does quick to listen mean? Let's say I am selling something and I'm paying attention to my customer. I want to serve my customer well. I'm paying attention to them and I'm listening and I'm taking notes. And I'm doing this right now, actually, with my new job. I take a lot of phone calls. I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of people hitting me up on Microsoft Teams, our instant messaging platform of choice, asking me if I have some information that they need, or they'll give me information that I need 
And sometimes even them asking me for the information that they need is them giving me information that I need. I need to know what information you need in order for me to provide the information that you need. I need that information, right? So what I'll do is the phone rings. I answer it. I'm polite. I want to start things off on the right foot. If I already have their phone in my number, or phone number in my phone, rather, number in my phone, communication is hard. What did I tell you? If I already have their number in my phone saved with their name, and that pops up as the phone is ringing, I will try to answer the phone and call them by name as a way of establishing from the get-go, I see you. I know you. I may not know you very, very well, but I at least know your name. And so I'm managing expectations on the front end just by using their name. I see you. You're not just a phone number to me. You're not just a faceless automaton. You are a person. What can I do for you? Or depending on how they answer, I might ask them how their day is going. Or depending on how the weather is outside, I might ask them, Hey, how are the roads out there? Hey, how's the weather? If they sound like they're in a rush, I might just skip that because maybe in a different circumstance, it would serve them well for me to ask them how they're doing. But if they seem like they're really in a rush, in a hurry, if they seem like, hey, this is kind of a time of the essence thing. There's other people waiting on me. I need to get this information back to them. I might just, to serve them better, skip straight to, what can I do for you? And in some sense, that question is communicating to them, I'm at your service. I am here to help you. And that's the case. That's the truth. And they're doubtless relieved to hear it. And then what happens very often is either they tell me how their day is going a little bit because that's maybe what they need in order to do their job well. Maybe they need a little bit of confirmation that they are seen as a person, they are humanized. In order for them to feel a sense of ownership, a sense of stake, a sense of, I'm part of this. So I listen, they tell me how their day's going. I let them know that I heard them. Well, good, because that further reinforces, you are a person to me. You matter. You are a human being. And I don't get all mushy about it and break down what I'm doing for them. But that's what I'm doing. And they might not know why they appreciate that, but they do. And the tone and tenor of what follows as we get into the meat and potatoes of why they really called, they didn't really call to have me ask them how their day was. It may or may not be a bonus. As we get into the meat and potatoes of what they actually called me for, they'll tell me, hey, I'm at such and such a site and I am working on this piece of instrumentation and we had some issues with it not communicating and I just replaced such and such a component and now I need to calm test and see if it's working now. And can you help me with that? Yes, I'd be happy to. And if they gave me enough information on the front end, as far as the location name, as far as the device in particular, I'm even as they're talking, I'm looking it up in the database. Okay, yep, I've got it right here, and that is in this, and then I go to that, and I look it up there, and okay, cool, I've got it pulled up, and I'm pulling it. And, I'm, and what I'll do, since we're over the phone, they can't see my screen, 
is I will, to some extent, narrate for them because that's a service because they want to know, hey, I'm on it. I'm not wasting their time. They're a busy person and they probably want to get this done quickly. But even just my saying out loud, hey, I'm looking here and it's there and it's okay. And so I've got it pulled up and I'm pulling it now. Okay. It looks like it succeeded and it succeeded again and it succeeded again. Okay, cool. We've got good comms. It looks like, all right, let's verify some of the values that are coming through to make sure we're getting the right device. You don't want to successfully communicate with the wrong device and then suppose that communication happened because that happens sometimes and not just with instrumentation. It happens sometimes with people. And this brings me to my next point, which is sometimes we think we're being entirely 100% honest, and we are, but sometimes we're being honest with the wrong person. We're telling all of the pertinent details to the wrong person and then feeling frustrated when we didn't get what we needed from the right person. Does that make sense? (laughs) Well, of course it makes sense. It makes sense because we've all been on one side or the other of that equation. But in another way, it doesn't make sense because we know where that leads. We know that when we're on the receiving end of it, we can feel frustrated because I didn't get that memo. I wasn't on that email. I didn't have that conversation with you. You had that conversation with someone else and they didn't relay it to me. And then you got busy and you forgot that you told them and you didn't tell me. And now you're frustrated. But really, like, what what else was I supposed to do? I didn't get the message. I didn't get the memo because you didn't send it to me. Now, if I had gotten it and if I did get it and I didn't understand it, well, then I bear some responsibility because I should have asked. I should have asked the follow-up question. I should have checked in with you. I should have said, hey, you know, what's this all about? Or... You should have said, hey, is that clear? And you should have made sure that the message was received. I mean, really, actually, truly, come to think of it, it's exactly like what I do for work. You know, sometimes what happens in my line of work is that this person has this piece and this person has this piece and this person has this piece. And... We're all supposed to be working together as a team, but we don't all do that perfectly, especially as we all get busy. Sometimes we get distracted. Something comes up and we forget, right? But this person has this piece of information that we need and that person has this and that person has this. And what you have to do is you have to reach out and you have to say, hey, I need this information from you. But suppose you don't. and suppose you're just waiting for that information to come to you. The other person might be saying, well, hey, if you're not going to come to me and ask, well, I'm not going to tell you. And meanwhile, you might be thinking, well, if you're not going to come and tell me, well, then I'm not going to come to you and ask. And so long as that continues to be the situation on some level, you're not working together as a team. And you won't ever work together as a team until you stop it. <laughs> to quote Bob Newhart, stop it. <laughs> and start doing the functional thing. Now, if you're part of a, a larger team which I happen to be right now, which is a great thing. I I have been, by and large, a one-man operation at various times with just a tenuous connection to others that I had to kind of like recruit on a case-by-case, project-by-project basis. And that's where networking comes in because you 
you know, I'm not talking networking like devices. I'm talking networking like people. You network with people who know things, and then you save their contact information. You save their phone number in your phone. You save their email. You save their whatever. And when a question comes up that you know they might have an answer to or they might know who does have an answer to, you contact them and you follow up with them. Hey, here's what I'm dealing with. Can you help me? But right now I'm part of a larger team. And so what we have is we have different people on the team who do different things especially well. But no one person does everything as well as anybody else does. Everybody has kind of their specialty. Everybody has their own arrangement of experiences and personality traits and perspective and attitude and habits that makes them maybe better at this and maybe not as good at this. And that's why you have a team. Besides just finite time, attention, energy, patience, etc. But suppose on a team of nine, you had three who have all of the conversations about all of the details and comment on who's doing what they should be and who's not doing what they should be. And that's as far as it goes, but they are not communicating to the others. They're not communicating to the other three that they consistently feel a little bit of frustration with. They're not communicating with these four who could be doing probably more, could be working together more closely and better and more successfully and more efficiently. They're not communicating with these five who sometimes are just shooting the breeze in the absence of a better idea. And suppose that three said, well, hey, we've been very, very clear. We're communicating. We're communicating very, very well. We couldn't communicate any more than we already are. Man, like we, didn't we say that this and this and this needs to be done and then this is coming up and then that needs to be taken care of and here are our reasons. Didn't we say this? Aren't we totally clear? And then in the interpersonal equivalent of what sometimes happens out in the field, you find out that the radio is unplugged. You plug it in. Oh, oops. <laughs> yeah, everything locally, everything locally on this site might have even been the main site and there's satellites around it that are communicating to it. Everything locally is communicating. But because this radio connected to this serial modem and this radio here is supposed to be receiving and transmitting to these other nodes, because this radio was unplugged, you're not getting any data from those other satellites. And therefore, consequently, none of that data is being transmitted from the serial modem back to your main network. And therefore, the main network is not getting this data. Now, suppose further, let's suppose in my line of work, somebody calls me up and they're com testing. And they say, ah, okay, I'm at this site and it's this device. Can you check it out? Tell me if it's communicating. Okay, I'm going to pull it. Yep, looks good. Normal. Pull it again. Yep, looks good. Normal. Pull it again. Yep, looks good. Normal. Okay, cool. And they leave. And then a little ways down the road, you find out, hey, wait a second. I thought you said these guys were communicating. I thought you said that this device was working. 
Well, yeah, I know. We contested it the other day. It's totally working. It's totally communicating. We're communicating with something. Well, yeah, but the problem is the operator went out there and on SCADA, it says we got 200 pounds on tubing and we got 300 pounds on casing and we got five pounds on surface casing and the plunger's running and the operator goes out there and the plunger's not running and there's 500 pounds on surface casing and there's 1,500 pounds on casing and there's 2,000 pounds on tubing, not to say that that actual arrangement of pressures would happen necessarily, but let's suppose that it did. You're communicating with something, but you're not communicating with this because the values don't match and they should and they, and they will if you're communicating with the right thing. And then, you know, suppose this happens, you start retracing your steps and you find out that the address in your system is one number off. You've got it in your system because of how it was built or maybe somebody went in and edited it or what have you, copied this from this, and they thought that they had adjusted all the particulars to make sure that it was going to go to the new unique device, but they forgot to change the slave ID. They forgot to change the node ID. They forgot to change the port number. They forgot to change the tube number. Any way you slice it, if they have the slave or node or tube number that actually corresponds with that device over there, they're identical devices, but that device over there is a different device. That's why you got two or three or four or five or six. Yes, you were communicating, but you were communicating with the wrong device. And it might just be one number off. But it, that's all the difference in the world as far as the configuration goes. You were communicating to the wrong thing. You were getting information from the wrong thing. And meanwhile, you were assuming you had the information because you, you saw hey, it is communicating. I'm communicating. I'm talking. I am RXing and TXing, as they say in my line of work. I am sending and receiving packets of information successfully. My system tells me I'm doing that successfully, so I, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. Well, what you might need to do is you might need to check your communication settings because it only takes one, really, one being off for the packet to go to the wrong place or for the wrong packet to go to the right place. And meanwhile, the node out there, if it's not connected, it's just doing its own thing. Whatever it's programmed to do locally, that's what it's going to do until you change your settings and verify pressures. You know, part of good communication is not only that you send the message, but also that you make sure that the message was received. One of the other things that can happen in my line of work is based on a number of factors, you might have a connection but the connection might not be so good. And they have something called an RSSI, which is basically your signal strength. It's the quality of the signal. And a lot of things can go into signal quality, like, for instance, distance. The more distance there is, the weaker your signal quality is going to be, unless you increase the power of your transmission. Now, if you increase the power of your transmission, you've got to have hardware that's capable. You have to have the right antenna. 
and you have to have the right cable, and you have to have the right radio or modem or what have you. And sometimes you have to have the right settings input, and you have to have the right power supply. But you might have a damaged piece of equipment. You have might have a fuse blown. You might have a cable that got rubbed the wrong way. You might have something loose. It's not making a good connection. You might have your antenna pointed in the wrong direction. Hey, I'm trying to talk to that stuff to the north, but my antenna is pointed to the southwest. No wonder I'm not getting a good signal. Let's try and point the antenna in the right direction. So you do that, and then lo and behold, hey, go figure, it's communicating better now, right? So that's something you have to do, and it's not enough to say, well, it's brand new hardware, and it works great, and it's worked great everywhere else, and it's not working great here, so I don't know what's wrong, but it's just not working. No, you don't say that. You say, hey, if it's worked these other places and the hardware is good, let's check our settings. Let's make sure that this is configured properly. Let's make sure that the addressing is right. This, ladies and gentlemen, is also closely related to why you don't gossip. And our gossip isn't just that you are saying mean things about somebody else, right? That's not the only problem with it. The problem is you might be saying all the right things that need to be said, but you're saying them to the wrong person, right? And and this is different than troubleshooting, right? Because troubleshooting is when someone calls me up and I'm supposed to help them com test. I'm on the network side, they're on the field side, and they're going to tell me where they're at, what they're testing, and I'm going to check it out on my side, and we're going to confirm pressures back and forth and make sure that what's being transmitted is what's being received. Confirm that. That's not gossip. That's com testing. That's troubleshooting. But sometimes I think we suppose that we need to be sending more information when it isn't so much more information that's needed and it's not more heat. It's not more passion. Sometimes what we need is to check our settings and make sure we're sending the information that is needed to the person for whom it is intended and make sure that that's being received before you proceed, before you, you know, just go off on a tangent. Hey, like, is this on? Is it plugged in? <laughs> and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now there might be a radical approach to honesty. It might not be quite the same thing as radical honesty where you only always tell the absolute most brutal truth because it makes you feel better. No. Are you saying what needs to be said, to whom it needs to be said, when it needs to be said, and making sure they heard it? Are you hearing what they're saying that you need to hear when they say it and understanding it and understanding it rightly and then responding appropriately? More could be said, but it's a Sunday morning. We're headed to church. I'm on my days off right now. I should go help get kiddos ready for getting out the door get myself another cup of coffee. It's daylight savings time. Times have changed. Spring forward, as they say. But more on this to come, as always. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. 
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.